This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 165-inch. On this episode, we are joined by the voice actor, comedy musician, and rapper, MC Chris. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Well, welcome home, Ethan. Well, thank you, Dave. As some of you may know, I just got back from seeing two Weird Al shows in Chicago, and I had an amazing time. Ooh, I cannot wait to hear all about them. Well, technically, Dave, you already did. I told you all about my trip on the two ridiculously self-indulgent bonus episodes that we recorded after each of the shows, which will be dropping soon for our Patreon family. Oh, yeah, that's right. We even had some pretty stinking majestic special guests for that first one. See? You do remember. And don't you also remember when I talked about getting attacked by murder hornets? Oh, how could I forget that? I had a ton of fun recording those, and I'm very excited to check them out soon on patreon.com slash 2000inch so I can relive your amazing weekend. Well, and that's not all. If you're a member of our Patreon family right now, you can listen up through episode 24 centimeter, which covers all the way through our whirlwind adventures in California. And remember, our Patreon supporters get to hear all bonus episodes first, including those two Ethan-only shows in Chicago that will drop soon. So if you have not already, surf your way on over to patreon.com slash 2000inch and join our family. And meanwhile, via our normal channels, our more frugal listeners can listen up through episode 20 centimeter right now as our lousy, rotten intern Frank released two ridiculously self-indulgent bonus episodes earlier this this week, if you listen to all the ones that are out for our cheap, uh, for our fruit, um, for the uh, the regular listeners, you can hear all about our adventures up through the three Las Vegas shows. Well, Ethan, I know you just got home, but do not get too comfortable. Oh, don't worry about that, Dave. I can't sit down, you know, uh, on account of those murder hornets. Well, you've got just about enough time to do some laundry, and then the both of us head on right back out to catch the two shows this coming weekend in Minnesota. Oh, I'm so ready to get back out on the road, Dave. You know, we really should mention that not only are we going to see Weird Al in Minnesota, we're going to see something else in Minnesota. That's right. We're making the algrimage to the Holy Twine Ball, the biggest ball of twine built by one man. And we're going to check out Everything that beautiful Darwin, Minnesota has to offer. Oh, Dave, let's just keep talking about this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's calm down a minute. We have to do an ad first. Ah, uh, okay. This episode is brought to you in part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota, uh, uh, beautiful, it's also going to temporarily host Ethan and myself. For as long as we can remember, ever since we were little kids, we've been touting all that Darwin has to offer on this podcast, and now it's finally time for us to make the journey. That's right. This weekend, Ethan and myself are loading up our rental car with potato skins and pickled wieners, crossword puzzles, Spider-Man comics, and my mama's homemade rhubarb pie, and we will be visiting Darwin, Minnesota for the first time ever. 
ever. And as much as we would have loved to time it just right so we could arrive at 7.37 early Wednesday evening as the sun was setting in the Minnesota sky, uh, our schedule just won't allow it. So instead, we're going to roll in around 11 a.m. on Sunday, July 24th. And this day promises to be fun as both Ethan and myself not only plan to visit the Twine Ball, we plan to see everything else that Darwin has to offer. And we also plan to buy as many window decals and miniature balls of twine that we can fit into our carry-on luggage. So if you're in the area or you want to make the journey, please stop by and join us. Our close personal friend Erin is organizing a special meetup, and she says that the mayor of Darwin himself is expected to attend. We would absolutely positively love to share this experience with as many friends and listeners as we can. So head on over to our Facebook group, group.2000inch.com, and comment on Erin's post if you plan to attend. So visit Darwin, Minnesota with us on Sunday. Discover Darwin, more than just the twine ball. And after we visit Darwin, Minnesota, we'll be sure to finally visit discoverdarwin.biz. Well, before we head on over to Darwin, Minnesota and visit discoverdarwin.biz, we need to check out what's happening in Weird Al-related news. We are pleased to report that El Maestro himself, Ruben Valtiera, has returned to the unfortunate return of the ridiculously self-indulgent, ill-advised vanity tour after previously testing positive for COVID-19. Well, I think it's a really good thing that we wished him well last episode. I'm sure that's what did the trick. Well, without spoiling anything for these upcoming bonus episodes, Ruben was back and better than ever in Chicago last weekend. News broke yesterday that Quinta Brunson, on the heels of her three primetime Emmy nominations, will portray talk show host Oprah Winfrey in the upcoming biopic, We're the Al Yankovic Story. Quinta joins the ranks of the previously announced Evan Rachel Wood, Rain Wilson, Julianne Nicholson, Toby Huss, and of course, Daniel Radcliffe, who is portraying Weird Al. In the photo released along with the announcement, Keita can be seen as Oprah and Daniel as Al in what appears to be a walk-in closet filled with Hawaiian shirts and Vans shoes. And Daniel is wearing a necklace made of Platinum Records. Weird, the Al Yankovic story is scheduled to premiere on the Roku channel later this fall. Finally, after 33 horrifying, painful years of waiting, Dave, we can finally see Weird Al's next film. Well, we won't have to wait 33 years if we want to check out the Guar documentary, This Is Guar, because it will finally premiere tomorrow, July 21st, on Shudder. Limited theater screenings are also happening around the country this week, and... Guar has announced a U.S. tour for this fall. And longtime listeners of Dave Nathan's 2008 Weird Al podcast will remember that we interviewed the director of the film, Scott Barber, back in September 2021 on episode 126 Inch, all about the film and Weird Al's involvement. Well, I guess we kind of jumped the gun on that one, huh, Dave? Well, I mean, how are we supposed to know the film was going to premiere again on July 21st? July 21st. Why does that day sound so familiar to me? Well, of course, July 21st is Belgian National Day, celebrated all around the world, at least uh, by the people from Belgium. Yeah, but I, I feel like July 21st, was, but it w- was like a more specific year. Oh, uh, I know. You're probably thinking of Don Knotts' date of birth. He was born on July 21st, 1924. No, 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 not that. I, I think it was more recent. 
Oh, more recent. Okay, let's see. Well, oh, July 21st, 2010. That's when President Barack Obama signed the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. Hmm. No, not that. It was less recent than that. I feel like what I'm thinking of happened on July 21st, 1989. Oh, July 21st, 1989. Why didn't you say so? That was the day that actress Juno Temple was born. Dave, no, that's not it. Well, let's see. Uh, Can I have one more guess? It better be Weird Al related. I mean, come on. Don Knotts was Weird Al related. Remember, he flies off with Weird Al in that episode of Johnny Bravo. Well, I can't argue with that, Dave. Anyway, let's hear it. Okay, all right, so ready? So July 21st, 1989. Aha, that was two days before Daniel Radcliffe was born. No, I mean, yes, uh, that's correct. And because he's a star of Weird, the Al Yankovic story, he is Weird Al related. But no, that is not what I was thinking, Dave. Oh, I mean, you weren't thinking July 21st, 1989 was when UHF was first released, were you? Because, I mean, it was. Well, never mind, Dave. I'm sure it'll come to me. In other news, tomorrow, July 21st, is the 33rd anniversary of the release of Weird Al's first film, UHF. From all of us here at David Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast, happy anniversary, UHF. Wow, I had no idea. Now, some sad news came out this week. Ruth Buzzy's husband announced that she has suffered a series of strokes which have left her bedridden. While Ruth is known for being on Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In from 1968 through 1973, for which she won a Golden Globe Award and received five Emmy nominations, she is perhaps best known for her cameo role in Weird Al's Gump music video as the woman who beats Farce Gump with her purse, which was a callback to one of her most famous characters on Laugh-In. And you know what, Ethan, I've always felt a special connection with Ruth because her and I share a birthday. Well, from all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, we're sending a ton of love and support to Ruth and her family at this difficult time. And in much lighter news, there has been some rumblings on social media about some more exciting Weird the Al Yankovic story news. Composer Zach Robinson posted some photos of what appeared to be glimpses of the score for Weird Al's upcoming film, along with the caption, Recording Day. It sure sounds like the finishing touches are being made. We cannot wait to see and hear this film in November. This episode is brought to you in part by Vegan Burrito Restaurant, Burrito Burrito in Shore, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped in a quesadilla, Burrito Burrito, and Wizard Burger in Albany, New York. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito, or hop on over to Wizard Burger for mouth-watering loaded, dare I say, beefy vegan burgers. From Troy to Albany to Uranus, Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger feed the hungry with out-of-this-world, plant-based, real food. Always vegan style. Visit burritosquare.com and wizardburger.com to order ahead. All right, let's move on to this episode's interview. Dave and I are absolutely thrilled to be welcoming to the podcast. He's someone who has been singing and performing funny music for decades and has some great connections to Weird Al and is currently on tour with The Last Tour. Please welcome... MC Chris. How's it going, MC Chris? Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. I am a very big Weird Al fan. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, we know you're a huge fan. There's so much to cover, but I want to just establish, should we call you MC Chris every time, or is it okay to call you Chris? Um, You know, my friends call me MC, so unless you want to be enemies, I would say just call me MC. <laughs> okay, MC. It will do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I got to ask you, Chris, uh, your, your tour is called The Last Tour. Is this really going to be your last tour? Um, you know, I get asked this question every day and, um, I, I tell everybody time will tell the tale and we'll see what happens. Uh, it's just very difficult to be a single dad with a seven year old and no staff and tour the country. And, um, you know, I did this, I set up this tour because I felt like I had to, if I wanted to get these dates, which I thought would be highly coveted after COVID, um, although COVID's still happening. Um, right. But I, I, you know, I just don't, I didn't see how I could keep this going because so much is required of you. And I didn't know how my son would feel about it. Turns out my son loves the stage. I, I can't get him off the stage <laughs> and he loves being up there with me. So we've been having a lot of fun and seeing all the sights and, and traveling around the country. Wow. But it is, it is difficult though. Um, so the main reason I say last tour is because I just don't know how I can be a single dad and this touring performer at the same time. Although I have managed to make it work. We've had a great tour, lots of sold out shows, lots of love, lots of emotion. And uh, it's been a really great experience. Um, But I, the vibe that I get from the audience is that nobody really wants it to end and everybody wants it to keep going. And so we'll see what happens. I'm I'm sure I'll be doing one-offs continuously and uh, I will, um, I will decide in the next couple of months whether or not I will book another tour for next summer. But, um, you know, we'll see what's happening. It really, it really is dependent upon like if I get work in LA or not, which is where I live. And if that doesn't seem to happen, then I will probably just keep on being MC Chris, which is, I'm very lucky to be able to be him. And that's that him is me, by the way. <laughs> do you do you think of MC Chris as a character or based on what you just said, are you MC Chris and MC Chris is you? Yeah, my voice changes when I'm MC Chris. And there are times on stage where I like go into my normal voice and I feel like that's Chris Ward. And and I, I sometimes accidentally speak in the royal we, um, you know, but I think that uh, it's definitely a character and there's skits on all my albums and that is a character. I've made a cartoon and that is a character with MC Chris in it. And uh, but there's also tons of autobiographical Chris Ward stuff throughout the work. And so I think it's mm. kind of it's like I have a, a, a mental illness and uh, I can't quite decide who I'm going to be from one second to the next. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. I <laughs> I came up with MC Chris originally to kind of survive parties when I was in college. And I just came up with like a more confident version of myself. And uh, it's kind of crazy to me that I'm still doing it, uh, you know, over two decades later. But um, but yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> wow. <laughs> is it like Batman where like like Bruce Wayne is his alter ego and he's really Batman? Are you really MC Chris and Chris Ward is the uh, alter ego? No, I think I'm really Chris Ward. I think that there's lots of stuff about me that people don't really take find interesting at all. Uh, you know, like who I really am. Um, I'm very much like an old person who likes PBS and NPR and and <laughs> old movies stuff that's like not MC Chris at all. So there's definitely a part. There's like a my personal life is very 
uh, different from this like uber nerdy uh, existence that I live as MC Chris. And what's happened over the past 20 years is that I found out that I am not a really big nerd. I'm like, I'm, I'm into nerdy stuff. I love comics and Star Wars and Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy novels and everything that a nerd likes. But I am not nearly as smart as some of the people that I've met who know everything about everything. And that's just that's not me. I think if anything, like, you know, uh, I just always kind of was true to who I was, but nobody in hip hop had ever done that before. So it kind of amplified how big of a nerd I was. But I think I was just kind of a more of a, you know, casual nerd, (laughs) a casual nerd (laughs) who's exceedingly good at rapping. (laughs) Well, Well, yeah, I mean, I love I love hip hop. And uh, I love writing and I love wordplay and and I really respect lyricism and and just, uh, you know, trying to make that as interesting and as tight as I possibly can. And and I mean, I the rappers that I like are very intelligent, funny people, um, you know, from the 90s. Uh, so I've always emulated them and tried to be like them and try to be like my heroes. And, and I've become kind of a a thing uh, uh, unto myself, which is also very weird. But because uh, I, I, even though I'm in the middle of my life, I still feel like a teenage fan when it comes to hip hop. And how did you get your your start in hip hop? It was MC Chris, your like first persona that did hip hop, yeah. or was there? A, yeah. Well, I would. I was like the only person in my town that li- listened to hip hop, and I would. Uh, I really liked um, De La Soul and Public Enemy and Tribe Called Quest and and black sheep and far side and i would put them on mixtapes for people and i would drive around and blast the stuff and i memorized all of it and um it just became a kind of a party trick that i could like do these songs for people like just off the cuff because i memorized all of it and then uh i had befriended punk rockers uh when i was at nyu who did shows made flyers recorded themselves rehearsed and I learned from them like what being a musician was. And then they would they started to record me and even let me on stage and tour with them. And and I learned so much from that scene. And I didn't know I was kind of getting a real education on what I'd be doing for the rest of my life. But I was. Mm. Uh, but they called mm. me MC Chris and I was the only rapper hanging out with a bunch of uh, pop punkers. And uh, it just became like a thing that I was just, I, I've always been kind of an odd man out looking for his tribe and my tribe at the time where these guys that were in the specific kind of pop punk, uh, you know, released on Green Day's Lookout album or Lookout label. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, no, I was always kind of, I was always this thing, uh, you know, off to the side that was kind of like um, comic relief. Um, but it's, uh, I, I just was so dedicated to it and i kept on recording and kept on making things first on eight track and then on mtv music generator and then we moved to computers and and when we got into pro tools then we really started to to make what sounds like what everyone hears today and but it was a it was an evolution that happened during college and when i got hired by cartoon network they just found a way to work the music into the shows and then the, once people found out that I made this stuff, then everything kind of blew up and I left Cartoon Network and, and started touring. And, and but that that's uh, that's a lot for me to say right now. There's 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 much more that happened. But that's kind of how things happen. Right. Yeah. I've heard your genre kind of referred to as nerdcore. I've heard that you're also not like a fan of that label for your music. 
And just thinking from like Dave and I and our listeners, when we go to the store to buy a Weird Al CD, I guess back in the day, you know, sometimes it's under comedy, sometimes it's under rock, sometimes it's somewhere else. How do you classify yourself? And have you struggled with, you know, is this comedy or is this hip hop or is it something else? Well, I, I didn't, uh, you know, Spotify has recently taken all my albums off because they're listed as comedy albums and they did like this big crackdown on comedy albums, which I, I don't really understand what that's all about. But oh, um, man. It, are, they are comedy albums and hip hop albums. And there's there's like a half hour of skits on every record that kind of were inspired by many of the skits I listened to on the uh, rap albums of the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of built this huge skit universe and I bring in people from Upright Citizens Brigade and to record uh, different parts. And we've been doing that for 20 years. Um, so there's lots of comedy and the songs can be considered funny. Uh, and uh, But, you know, I think that... Um, I, the bands that I liked growing up were like They Might Be Giants and Beck and Ween and bands that just didn't really like having genre classification. They really just were jumping all over the yeah. place all the time because they were really commenting on everything that they experienced and or satirizing it and or just messing with it. And that's kind of what I was always doing. I was always trying to just mess with different things, mess with different genres uh, over the years, nerdcore has like, uh, you know, I've been it, I, in the L.A. Times recently. It was a crossword puzzle uh, clue, MC Chris's genre. And uh, the answer was nerdcore. And, and that kind of like made me feel like, well, this is, you know, this is something that's been out of my hands for a long time. And you really mm. never get to never get to decide what you're called or what you are. And that's up for that's up to other people. I think I just didn't like the genre too much because when I first started, a lot of people in the genre were attacking me. And so I just didn't, I didn't really like the music. I didn't really like the people and I didn't really want to be included in it. Over time, I chilled out on that because I realized it felt like I was turning my back on people and a scene. And, you know, I've never been a part of a scene. I've never, even the pop punk scene that I was a part of, I was still this weirdo in the scene. I was never, I was not really a pop punker. I was never really a part of anything. And my whole life growing up, I never was a part of things. So I think it was very difficult for me to be uh, like considered like the head of this uh, genre or the creator of this genre. Um, but over time, you know, I just stopped caring about it. And, and you know, I just, <laughs> right. I, I, a rose is kind of how I looked at it. Now, how would you describe nerdcore? Does Weird Al fall under nerdcore, or does there have to be like a a strong hip hop element? You no, know, I always thought of Weird Al as like parody music. Uh, you know, um, although his medleys uh, aren't necessarily parody, they're really well executed, uh, just yeah. kind of uh, time capsules. Um, but uh, I think that you know. I think Weird Al has always kind of just been a chronicler of the age, whatever age he's experienced, whatever he's, whatever's going on in the world, he's there to say, this is my, I'm reporting on this event or these events, whether it be Michael Jackson or Madonna or Nirvana or right. whatever it is. He's just kind of like a mirror that's being held up to pop culture um, to, to say that he's one genre uh, or another, you know, I think doesn't really apply, but I think comedy uh, might be the most appropriate. I know that's growing up. That's where I would see his albums and know to find him. Uh, yeah. But, you know, 
I think that he's, it's kind of like, he's beyond classification as well. Unless, unless of course you wanted to say polka. Uh, and then I would say that's probably the most appropriate <laughs> genre classification. <laughs> <for> <laughs> Yeah, I think you said it well that, you know, just like you, you know, you're, it's hard to find, you know, pin yourself down to one genre. I think it's, you know, yes, Weird Al definitely falls under comedy, but I think it, with all the different musical styles that he does and all the pastiches and the, the parodies and you said the polkas, it's hard to put him into one category. You could say he does pretty much everything. Yeah, I think classification is it's just for, you know, critics and and fans that need to like have this regimented uh, approach to music and I think that what I've always been drawn to are the people that just were against that and you know I remember hearing early on when people were calling me this uh, like the king of nerdcore that Bob Dylan didn't like being called the king of hippies and he didn't like he didn't like the associations that were kind of thrust upon him in the beginning of his career and mm. I and I, I related to that that it's not mm. it's so out of your hands and you're oftentimes music is created in private and it's like you're burying your soul. And then basically the, the universe's reaction is, ah, this is very similar to all this other stuff. And it, it makes you feel uh, less uh, special and more anonymous and more invisible. And I think so mm. many artists into making music to feel, uh, to not feel that way. Mm. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And I guess before we get uh, too far into your uh, connections with Weird Al, I'm just kind of curious, how did you discover Weird Al? What was your first exposure to Weird Al and his music? Well, I was an 80s kid, um, and we had that little cable box with the uh, red numbers on it. And, um, (laughs) you know, I would watch MTV. I would skip school to watch MTV. I I loved MTV so much. Uh, I was just watching it religiously and it, it, it like programmed my brain in this, in a, you know, like they say how TikTok is kind of reprogramming kids' brains today because these videos are so short. I mean, I, 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 I always kind of thought in terms of music videos growing up, which is weird because I've never made a music video. Um, but I, I just worshiped this stuff, watched it as often as I could, watched it all day. And in that first couple of years, I was there, uh, and so was Weird Al. And, uh, you know, I remember Beat It happened, and, and I was, uh, I remember being in summer camp and parodying the Go-Go's and, and lip-syncing and performing and making up my own lyrics. And I think that was clearly influenced by Weird Al and, yeah. and how, much he, how much he affected, like, what I gravitated towards. Like he, he was laughing at this thing that was taking itself incredibly seriously. And he, then there'd be this clown that would come on and and joke about everything. And it was very awesome. You know, like the, the Michael Jackson was such a big deal that to have someone kind of show up with the same production value, just making fun of it was like a mind blower. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, But I remember being a little kid pretending to sing the go-go's, and saying uh smell my feet instead of we got the beat and i think that that was very (laughs) uh, that was that was clearly me uh emulating weird al you know and um you know and it was cool to watch him uh kind of grow with music and it wasn't until college where my punk rock friends would say you need to listen to this whole album because i had only heard the singles 
And once I started mm-hmm. listening to the whole albums, I, I just, I was introduced to his medleys and uh, I realized that he was not just a comedian, but this really amazing uh, artist. And he was, he was really great at the accordion. And he was really great at uh, putting this kind of polka spin on modern music. And I really, uh, it, that really blew my mind because I, I never really thought about a comedian being also talented. I know that might sound weird, but I never thought of it as being like something that could also show like this great intelligence. And, but that definitely became who I was or who I am today where I put mm-hmm. so much effort in my lyrics and, but at the same time, I try to keep it funny, but I also uh, completely commit to what I'm doing and take it very seriously and try to do the best job I possibly can and show lots of musicianship. I think he kind of uh, brought in my mind as in terms of like, what do you expect from a comedian? Yeah. He's sort of the gold standard, Yeah, you know, I think for a lot of people. Uh, and I continued to, to parody music uh, in my career. I did, um, I heard Call Me Maybe today on the radio and I just was brought back to this. I did a whole Bath Salts parody of that song called Tasty Face, which is uh, <laughs> zombies. And uh, I did lots of parody songs and I and I did them throughout my career as MC Chris. And I think uh, if it if Weird Al had not done the same thing, then I wouldn't have thought, well, I have to uphold this tradition and do my own take on some of these things. <laughs> and uh, and I still do it. And, um, you know, so it's it's still something that I do. Mm. And when you were working at um, Adult Swim, I saw that you worked on The Brack Show and Space Ghost. And those are two shows that Al has done voice work on. Did your paths cross at that point? I actually did. You know, I worked at William Street as an animator and production assistant. And it's so weird. They had me end up, they ended up having me do everything, like any kind of job there was to do. So I would actually do sound editing. I would edit together the entire episodes for Brack. And I would get to hear all the outtakes of um, uh, Georgia Kai and uh, Weird Al and stuff like that. And I get to assemble these shows. And, uh, but yeah, no, I, I don't know if, um, Memory doesn't serve in terms of whether or not I worked on Weird Al's show, but I think it, I, he, with the Weird Al show might have happened while I was at Aqua Teen, um, and I saw that from afar. But uh, I always liked the selection of guest stars and how they would go about selecting people. Um, I, when I was in NYU, I interned on Pete and Pete, and uh, oh, cool. I, I loved how they would pick rock stars to be in the show. Um, I remember having to, I remember asking Frank Black to be Santa Claus for Pete and Pete <laughs> and which is something I don't think he did but um, I remember sending out press releases to famous musicians trying to get them to be a part of the show and I like that I like who Space Ghost was picking to be on the show or who the Brack show was picking to be on the show I always liked like that taste because it always felt very alternative and weird and kind of you know, not exactly corporate, although everything was corporate, of course, but it felt kind of cool. And, um, but yeah, no, when I worked on there, I got to do Sulu and, uh, and folks like him and a lot of Andy Merrill, of course. And, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't think I worked on the Weird Al episode. Um, but and I don't think I worked on the Weird Al being on Aqua Teen. Uh, was he on Aqua Teen? He was just on Space Ghost. 
Uh, Space Ghost, I worked in just the last few episodes that they created for Space Ghost, uh, which was a thrill for me because I had been a fan since the 90s. And that was uh, a great thing to be a part of. And I was really happy to like draw Zorak's foot. And, you know, I was very, <laughs> I, was be- I was beaming in those moments where I got to kind of play with some of the things that I had adored or I had loved from afar. Yeah, cool. That's incredible. And I guess since we're on we're on that subject of you know Adult Swim and stuff, how how is it that you got into doing voice acting? Um, well, I was uh, at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and I was working in the box office with the girl who had also re- recommended uh, Dana Snyder to the creators of Aqua Teen, and she and I worked box office together and one night we went out drinking at McManus pub, which is where everybody went at upright systems brigade in New York city after a show of improv. And this was very, very early, early on when it was a very small theater. And my friend, John Ross Bowie was in a punk band called egghead. And they were on the same label as Dirtbike Annie, which was this pop punk band that I lived with. And we went to go see John Ross Bowie do some comedy and it blew our minds and rob cordry i think was in his group and uh i just knew that that was something i wanted to do so i started to take classes and i paid for those classes by working in the box office and the girl i worked in the box office with was friends with dave willis we all went out drinking one night and i didn't have any money and i just could convince i convinced dave to buy me so much beer because i could drink a pint of beer in under three seconds and that was like my big trick <laughs> really, oh, really wow. was like, that was my big problem really but um <laughs> but i had uh made him laugh so much that night he handed me his business card he said we could use somebody like you where i work and it had a picture of space ghost on it and that like I was like, whoa, because I had wanted to work for like Disney since I was a little kid. I had drawn pictures my whole life. I'd, I'd always, I always drew stuff. I went to art school and I never studied animation, but I always could draw. But I never, I got really uh, enamored with screenwriting and writing in college. And so I kind of stopped drawing. Uh, and then I got into improv comedy. And um, I said, oh, I, man, I don't think I could. I don't think I can live in Atlanta. That feels like a little weird to me. Um, and he said, oh, okay, well, here's my friend Adam over here. And Adam is making this show called C-Lab. So I made Adam laugh. Uh, I drank a lot of beer with Adam. And Adam said, come <laughs> and interview. And, uh, you know, I said I could draw really well. And, uh, you know, and they hired me uh, as a animator, but then they made me a character and then they put my music in it. Right. And I worked with them for a little while until, uh, things weren't cool anymore. And then, uh, I, I moved over to William street, uh, proper, which was in an old carpet factory, uh, in Atlanta. And, um, while I was at C lab, I started getting roles in different pilots on cartoon network and, and, uh, and then I moved over to William Street and started to take part in like all the shows and do voice and writing for like everything that was being made there at the time. But the but I'd also been working on MC Chris and um, that had grown in popularity as soon as people found out about it. And so eventually it got to the point where I was like, I'm making more money with this music thing. And um, I foolishly left <laughs> Adult Swim to go pursue a music career. And I've been doing that for about 15 years now. Wow. I should have stayed, though. 
(laughs) (laughs) Should you have, though? Uh, well, I, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, people come up to me every night of this tour and they're like, we met because of you. We have five kids. They're all named Chris. You know, every night people are <laughs> and yeah. telling me how I've changed their lives or I stopped them from committing suicide or I helped them meet their love of their lives. And so I've affected a lot of lives. And so it's weird to think if I hadn't done this, then none of that would have happened. Uh, you know, right. I think. Just like Adult Swim, I think MC Chris kind of filled a void, um, you know, for a certain time period before a bunch of other people did the similar things. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, it's difficult because I went back in the animation industry. So now now is when I'm like, oh, had I not left, then I'd still be in it. But um, but now, as I feel like things are winding down, and I'm kind of easing into middle age and fatherhood. Uh, I wish I was making cartoons again. But we'll see what happens. I live in L.A. and and I plan to go home and write some more and, and start pitching things. And we'll see what happens. I don't know if you're joking about your fans having five kids all named Chris or not, but it made me think of... I'm joking about that, but they do say, like, we met because of you. We have four kids. I think someone said that. <laughs> right. How do you feel about people with MC Chris tattoos? Uh, do you get freaked out by that? No. Uh, I, feel, I feel a little bad for them, to be honest. Uh, you know, because it was a very like trendy thing at the time, but maybe do they feel the same way? One person said like, I have this tattoo and my friends give me hell about this, but I love it. And I, cause I love you. And um, in Tampa, one girl was like, look at it, look at it. She was like, going to beat me up. And uh, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just part of being a, when you connect with people in a very strong way, uh, you know, you make this connection to them and it kind of represents a, a time period. But obviously the earth keeps on spinning and that time period ends and then you have these tattoos forever. I have tattoos that I want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. But people show me their tattoos and they do not seem ashamed about it or sad about it. I just, you know, I have, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or whatever they call it, but I always am like, why does anybody like me? Why would anybody come to my shows? Why would anybody buy my music? I, I never can really wrap my head around people liking me or doing, you know, cult like things like tattoos. Uh, it's right. always kind of, it always kind of blows my mind. Cause I've always felt like, you know, I can't believe that this, ha- this is me that they're talking about, but they are, th- this is my life. And it's just very strange. That's all. I'd like to transition a little bit into some of your music, Chris. And the first one that stands out to me was you did a cover song of Dare to be Stupid from your Apple Tummy album. Can you tell us how uh, that came about? I was celebrating um, the Transformers movie, Michael Bay's Transformers movie. And uh, I had, I think I was promoting maybe um, a screening I was doing of Transformers in Eugene, Oregon. And I think Paramount had sent us a bunch of posters. And so I had written, I, I didn't write it, obviously, but I had I just come up with the idea to cover this thing. And I had a guy who had made some songs on my album um, make up a new track for it. But it's funny because that song meant so much to me on a personal level. Uh, I, had seen, I had seen the Transformers movie in theaters and there was a swear uh, in the movie in the theaters that I won't repeat now because my son's in the room, but uh, it wasn't on the VHS. And um, I remember renting the VHS with a buddy um, in junior high. And um, 
I was like, come on, let's watch this. And I had to really convince them, you know, like you really didn't want to watch this. Like people didn't like watching cartoons after the time period of what you call being a kid. And a lot of my friends were also like my enemies where they'd hang out with me, but they'd also like bully me at the same time. And uh, I remember watching the VHS of Transformers, the animated movie uh, or the motion picture. I don't know exactly what it's called, uh, but Dare to be Stupid came on and all the junk bots are, are singing this song. And the guy I would, who I would pick this movie out and I was at his house at a sleepover and he looked at me like, you are the lamest person I have ever, you know, had to deal with in my life. This is the stupidest movie I've ever seen. And this is the stupidest part of that movie. And uh, it really st stuck with me. So when the hmm. time came for me to cover uh, the song, I was like, I want to do this song because I actually love this song. And my, a lot of my adolescence or just my whole uh, life growing up, it was all about like, no, I actually love this and you're wrong and I'm right. This is great. <laughs> and I think I also did uh, Jeopardy, um, but I made it yep. about, uh, I think I did Jeopardy. Um, and, and I would change the lyrics a little bit. And, uh, but yeah, you know, I think this is in one way of letting everyone know that like, I know about this secret, weird owl language and i know that no hip-hop <laughs> no, no rapper would ever acknowledge weird owl's existence um you know but i wanted to let everyone know that like all my music is tongue-in-cheek just like weird owl's music was tongue-in-cheek and uh so i felt like by covering his songs i was kind of cluing everybody into the fact that, like what world I, am i coming from you know and that did right. not take not take my music too seriously or take me too seriously because i am a student of weird al in effect i'm like just a new version of him and um so i i think i did those covers to kind of communicate to my audience that like uh this music means a lot to me and i hope it informs you on what how you should like receive all my music and how you should consider all my music that it's all kind of a, a joke and it should be funny and it should be lighthearted and and you shouldn't be too serious about it and then they went and got tattoos <laughs> you mentioned your cover of i lost in jeopardy and that was on 26 and a half a tribute to weird al yankovic i love that I, i'm curious what was your thought process behind picking that song to cover uh i don't even remember was that I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've done a lot of tribute things like Dr. Demento and, and I've done lots of different things over the years. And I don't know. I don't remember at all what I was thinking uh, when I wrote that, to be honest with you, uh, or when I covered that, I should say. Right. Um, right. Mm. But I think uh, I know that my mom always watched Jeopardy. And so I think I actually put in some Jeopardy like, references in into the song i don't know what i'd have to look at it again how i changed the lyrics but um but yeah i i wouldn't ever do a straight cover i would always try to like make little tiny changes just so i could leave my fingerprints on it but other than that i don't recall mm -hmm. I, I i'm surprised that it was a part of something a lot of times i was just like doing things that were in my head and and yeah not even thinking about mixtapes or them being a part of larger projects. But if you say it is, then it probably is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've been, I've been somewhat mentally incapacitated for the majority of my career. And it's not until recently that I've come out of that fog and uh, I'm pretty amazed at all the things that happened within that fog. <laughs> 
one parallel that I, I don't think we can get away with not pointing out is, you know, obviously you have quite a connection to Star Wars, and Al does too with The Saga Begins and Yoda. And, you know, you can't go to a Weird Al show without the audience expecting to hear Yoda or The Saga Begins. And I have to assume that's the same for your shows when it comes to Fett's Vet. Yeah, no, I make the joke that, like, uh, if you go see Chumbawamba, if they don't play, I get knocked down, you know, then there's going to be hell to pay. And that <laughs> that the audience would crucify me and run me out of town if I didn't play this song every night. Uh, and it's how I close my show. Um, but yeah, no, it is like, that is my big song. It's been in a Kevin Smith movie. It's been on Adult Swim. And uh, it's how and why I have with so many people. And so, yeah, no, it's definitely that I, I have to play it. But to be honest with you, I love performing it because it's the song that everybody knows. So it's we are kind of singing it together. And I always feel like the song's final version is is when it's sung with a crowd and they know all the words and that's the one thing that everybody knows so i love that part of the show every night that's so cool yeah so cool and so you were kind of championing boba fett before he you know got his own spin-off series and mandalorian and stuff yeah and it seems like a lot of people are giving you credit for maybe that resurgence of boba fett and his character and his spin-offs well i talk about it every night in my show that when I was little, my brothers were very territorial with the action figures that, that we played with. They got to be Luke Skywalker. They got to be Han Solo. They got to be Darth Vader. But because I was a little guy, like I was really tiny, I had to play tiny characters. So I got to be Yoda. I got to be R2-D2. And, but I made the most out of it. I had said that Yoda's flashlight on his belt was actually his lightsaber. And he's this Jedi who actually flips around and is really great. And that R2-D2... Mm-hmm his main component is actually a thruster and he could fly anywhere he wants to go. And, um, which is very prophetic on my part. And, uh, one Christmas or one birthday I was given, uh, Boba Fett. Uh, and I knew, and this is before, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know about pop culture, you know, the world is your neighborhood. And yeah. but I never, I never got any vibe from my neighborhood that this character was cool and nobody ever talked about it and and there were no posters up or any there was no fandom about this character but i think it was because i owned him and uh i was so used to playing these smaller characters that i knew i had something cool on my hands he had this little dart on his wrist he had the jetpack he had this really cool looking armor um Mm -hmm. and i just knew he was special and i held on to that figure my whole life it would be on my desk no matter what I was going through no matter what college I was at or what town I lived in it was always with me so when the time came to write a song uh about uh something that was true to me that's the thing that I picked and and I had written it after Phantom Menace you can kind of tell that I'm writing it after Phantom Menace before Attack of the Clones we don't know what his backstory is um beyond the legends and the novelizations um but i you know came came up with my own ideas and kind of told my own story about him that it's kind of like this sweet spot before we before he becomes the source of all the clones which is kind of or his father becomes the source of all the clones which is kind of changes how you think about boba fett and um I wrote this song right after phantom menace when star wars fandom and kind of come back into uh into style 
And, uh, but I was always really into this stuff. I was going to see the trailers when Phantom Menace came out. I was going to see Meet Joe Black just to watch the trailer. And, uh, you know, I was on Ain't It Cool News every day, reading about all the worlds and all the things that they had planned. And I was really totally into yeah. it. And um, so it was something that was like a lot of my life, because I've been very isolated for a lot of my life as most Weird Al fans have been until they go to that show and they realize there's so many people like them. I had, you know, I was yeah. just very isolated and alone and didn't know what other people knew or liked or enjoyed. Didn't know about conventions or that, you know, that there were, that everybody was a Boba Fett fan. And uh, so I think I was definitely lucky enough to have that idea where I was, I decided to be true to myself and to write, a rap song about what mattered the most to me. And so I was just, you know, I was just ahead of my time in that. And eventually it became like so widespread comedy rap and videos about things like in pop culture, it became so huge. That's really weird to think there was ever a time where I was the first person doing it, you know, uh, it's really blows my mind, but at the same time, I like that it comes from this really innocent place of, let me just talk about something that I like privately in my room, uh, to cheer myself up. I had just been fired from my job and I was feeling pretty down on my luck and feeling pretty hopeless. Um, but this song had just opened up so many doors for me. It got me my job at Adult Swim and it, um, it eventually led to a career in music and I got to go to Skywalker ranch and meet George Lucas and watch revenge of the Sith in the, in the with George Lucas sitting right behind me. Wow. And I got to see how are the ducks guitar and I got to do all this cool stuff uh, and became friends with Boba Fett at conventions. And Jeremy Bullock would come out to this song on stage and Kevin Smith put it in a movie and, uh. and, <laughs> You know, one night Kevin Smith had me come over to his house and he's like, I got you something. And it was this framed picture of Boba Fett in front of a Corvette. And I was just like, this is so crazy that this all comes from this, this place of, you know, just being alone and thinking that there's no one in the world that likes you or relates to you. And it was very kind of life affirming to see that it that everybody connected with it and uh and they still connect with it now which is why it's so fun to like be out on the road and performing this song again and and seeing everybody freak out and uh it was very cool when the shows started for mandalorian and uh book of boba fett and people were just uh my lyrics became like the title of a lot of the articles that were re being written about these shows and especially book of boba fett and um I don't know if I'm the reason for the risk, the why Boba Fett became so important in the Star Wars universe. That'd be a pretty bold thing for me to say. But uh, I do know that it's really the proof is in the pudding that that people uh, consider my song synonymous with uh, him and that yeah. uh, it, it gets brought up so much by just really, really big companies and really big people much more famous than I and. And that it was uh, it was a very widespread thing. And I think it's so widespread, I have no idea like exactly how big of a thing it is. Um, but I do like that it came from this very uh, small, isolated place. And that was very true to who I really was. Um, and then it connected with so many people. And it kind of just showed me that everybody who is suffering alone and uh, that they actually are connected to all the other 
sufferers that are out there that are isolated and, and feeling like nobody gets them or nobody relates to them or nobody's connecting with them. It turns out we're all connected. And that song proved that to me. So for people who are looking for a, another connection between, you know, Weird Al, MC Chris, and Star Wars, there is a, if you Google it or you go to College Humor, uh, you can find a little video clip called Star Wars Cantina Auditions. And in that, uh, Weird Al plays the role of a Twi'lek. And uh, of course, MC, you play Boba Fett. And that's a really cool <laughs> little, uh, fun little uh, video clip that's out there. Yeah, I was very uh, lucky to be brought in and asked to do that um i think i got to meet liz fair that day and i was like a really big liz fair fan in college so that's why i was really thrilled about it uh it's like the only time you ever see me on camera with anything because i'm just never really on camera uh but yeah no it was really great to take part in that and um you know i love i love that again that association between me and the character was like further solidified uh in this bit right um, yeah. And there was like a Lucasfilm representative there and, and he was like a fan and that all that stuff is always weird. Like I've been to ILM a couple of times and, and met staff members and been given the tour. And uh, it's it's really weird that these people consider themselves my fans when I'm like obviously such a huge fan of their stuff. Uh, right. But yeah, no, I, I love that they College Humor brought me in for all different kinds of things over the years. I was very happy that they you know, were these nerds that were finally allowed to be content creators. I think uh, being involved with Adult Swim in the early aughts and then having this song that became so uh, connected to this universe, I think it, it's kind of like an entire generation was brought up on this song and about, uh, on the and the message of my music, which is to feel good about yourself and take pride in who you are and, and love the things that you like and celebrate yourself and it was it was cool to watch all those people grow up and then become content creators and become uh, creative people in their own rights and see what they do. And it was all obviously awesome whenever they would say, come on in and, and help us make something because I always love to collaborate. Were you able to actually meet Al on the set for this video? Or have you met? You've met Al, right? No, I didn't meet Al. I met Daughtry and Liz Fair. And Daughtry was dressed up like Darth Maul, which is very funny. Uh, but, uh, the weird thing is that Weird Al has me on his Christmas card list and he, he writes me and tells me happy birthday every year. And, uh, which I have no idea why or how he got my information. Um, but I always write him back home how much I love him. And sometimes I'll just like start, I'll start word vomiting at him about just, I'm such a fan, you know, if I did meet him, I probably wouldn't be able to compose myself. There's lots of people like that, that I'm. I'm still very much a fanboy, and uh, yeah. but yeah, no, I've never met him, but I do get these little notes from him from time to time uh, that make me feel like I have been accepted by, you know, the nerd council, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's amazing. <laughs> the nerd council, I love that. <laughs> well, we, my son is really into Star Wars right now, and and so we're we're always like watching Anakin get rebuked <laughs> right, <laughs> from right. me. From me. <laughs> so, Weird Al contacting me, it feels like Mace Window saying, have a seat, young Skywalker, you know, but, in a, <laughs> but in a good way. Right. 
I wanted to ask you about, you've worked with Cybertronic Spree. We're, we're big fans of them, and they've been on the podcast, and we know they're big Weird Al fans, too. How did you get connected with them? Um, I met them at Dragon Con in Atlanta, and uh, I just thought they were really cool, and I love cover bands. I just feel like cover bands are like the lifeblood of America, and uh, so I, you know, I just, we were going to, we had actually set up an entire tour that we were going to do that got canceled because of COVID. And uh, I would love to try to set something up where we make up, do some shows together, but. Oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah. Other than playing Dragon Con together, uh, I just knew I wanted to work with them or do a a tour with them. And we did have it all set up, but then the world ended and we unfortunately couldn't do it. But, uh, but other than that, there's no great connection other than I just, you know, I love, I love what they do and I love how unabashedly nerdy they are and, and, uh, (laughs) you know, it's a very cool thing. Hopefully we can make, hopefully we can do some shows sometime. That would be great. Yeah. That would be awesome. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you're currently, as we mentioned earlier, you're out on tour right now, MC Chris, the last tour, and you're going everywhere in the U S now through mid August and you're actually finishing the tour, so I guess the last show of the last tour in Los Angeles, and Jonah Ray is opening for you, covering Weird Al songs. I know. It all comes full circle. It's so cool. <laughs> I love that it's him, and I love that, that he's actually doing what he's doing. Uh, I think it's very perfect. And there's just so, you know, when I play conventions, there's so many bands that uh, I find out about that are doing nerdy things, and I love that that there's all these different kind of ways to celebrate our culture. And, um, and I think this is going to be a great way. I I've wanted to meet Jonah. And so it'll be a thrill for me. I'll be fanboying a little bit at him um, because he kind of <laughs> created this, this uh, movement in LA nerdy movement that went away with the comics, comics bookstore went away, but yeah. uh, it'll be cool to meet him and touch base with him. Um, because I think he's, you know, he switched over to other things like MSC three K and, um, but yeah, no, it's really an honor that he gets to play. It feels very nerd council E that he's that I'm <laughs> anything associated with him. Um, but yeah, no, it's very, I'm very excited about the show and, and I have a feeling like other things will get added to this show. It just seems like things keep on happening and things keep on being added to it. And, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the show gets cooler than it already is, which is pretty cool to me, but I'll be happy to yeah. be doing a show in LA. We, the our show in Anaheim was like our most well attended show, uh, second to like Denver and Tampa, and so I think LA is where I live. So it's really nice to have this following where I currently reside, and, and I love having that support. So, uh, but yeah, no, I can't wait for this show. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. So specifically for that one in LA, it's ending the tour on August thirteenth at the Lodge Room in Los Angeles tinyurl.com slash mcchrisla gets you right there to the tickets. And then for the rest of your tour across the U.S., mcchris.com, there's all the information there. And the rest of the tour, you are performing with Crunkwitch. They are opening the tour, and mcchris.com has all that information as well as uh, a lot of other great stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's there's tons of remixes of Fed's Vet uh, if you go to the website. Um, if that's something that floats your boat, lots of cool stuff there. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I've had a really great time touring this summer. It was really difficult, you know, for me as it was for many others to be cooped up for two years. 
um, yeah. and not to be able to um, just perform in front of people. And I love performing. And um, and Crunkwitch is a great opener that I feel uh, feel honored to be performing with them every night. And, uh, you know, I love these shows. People are really getting wrapped up into me calling it the last tour. I tell them time will tell the tale. But, uh, you know, regardless, they're crying. There are people being like brought like their friends are holding them up as they leave. Uh, you know, people are very oh. emotional about the connection that we've made together. A lot of people are saying you are the soundtrack of my middle school experience or my teenage years or I've been listening to you my whole life. And and these will be grown men saying this to me. And it's very weird to me that I, you know, I took part in this generation's upbringing in a positive way that means so much to them, you know, uh, because I didn't have an MC Chris growing up. I had Weird Al and, uh, you know, Weird Al's presence was enough to let you know that you, who you were was a good thing. But I, I'm very, I'm much more like, like spitting it out and saying, you should love yourself and you should be happy with who you are and you should never be ashamed of who you are and you should love the things that you like and celebrate uh, everything about yourself. And I'm glad that I had Weird Al, but I'm also glad that fans have me to help them cope with existence because it can be so difficult for nerds. And we, we definitely see how a nerd that hasn't been given enough love uh, can turn into a horrible thing. So I like this yeah. idea of of nerds uh finding out about this as soon as possible you know i want i want everyone to know that they're not alone and that they are loved and that they are great i love it i i think that's such a great message yeah. and you know dave and i certainly agree with that <laughs> being fellow nerds <laughs> well it's so funny you have the you have these conventions and you find out that there are so many people like you so it's so it's hard to imagine that there are still lonely people out there that feel withdrawn uh, from society and uh, you know if we can just keep on making these connections and keep on letting people know what the message is uh, hopefully it, it can do as much good as it's done before for new generations and for kids coming up because uh, I, don't, I unfortunately I don't think that it's improved to such an extent that like my music isn't needed anymore I think there's always going to be somebody who needs to hear it absolutely well Chris as as head of the uh, nerd council I was hoping you could help me out with something here. I was going through uh, Weird Al's songs. I was trying to find out which ones probably fall most under the category of nerdcore. I found maybe 3 of them that that I came up with and and I'm hardly a, you know, an expert on nerdcore, so that's why I'm going to the head of the nerd council. Maybe you can help me out here. Well, wasn't it uh it's all about the Pentiums? Yeah, okay, that one was on the list. Was that his first uh I think that was his first like really nerdy rap song that he did. I might be wrong about that, but I remember seeing that and feeling like I had something to do with it. And it made me feel really weird because I had, I had watched <laughs> weird Al my whole life. And so I felt like, am I affecting culture to such an extent that it's, it's reached weird Al. And if so, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, but after everything that's happened in my life, I, it's possible because he's now writing me on my birthday. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> You know, uh, I don't know, but um, but yeah, no, I would I would definitely throw that there in in, in the nerdcore uh, genre categorization. Um, but he might he might say what I don't know if that's truly necessary. <laughs> 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 I bet he hates having it be put into comedy. Uh, you know, when it's been 
very successful pop music for a very long time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the other one that I was thinking of, and this one is uh, probably a, a Weird Al anthem, is uh, White and Nerdy. Yes. Yeah. No, I think White and Nerdy might have been the first song where I was like, did I did I have something to do with this? Because it came out. I remember watching it on TV when I was in Atlanta working for Cartoon Network. And yeah. I was I, I was I was wondering if this if Nerdcore had influenced him uh, to write this song or whether he just thought it's something that that rhymed, which is very possible. I think that's more, more, <laughs> right. likely, more likely than it just rhymed. That's why he wrote it. I think we're in agreement here that yeah, the the Nerdcore songs that probably the ones that Weird Al songs that f- most fall into Nerdcore are. It's all about the Pentiums <laughs> and white and nerdy. Definitely. <laughs> Well, MC, this has been a blast, such an honor to get to chat with you about all this awesome stuff. We're so excited that you're out on tour. The last tour, tickets available, mcchris.com. The Lodge Room in LA on August 13th. You're going to be performing in Jonah Ray with You Can't Call Me Al. We'll be opening. Uh, so awesome. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us and, and sharing all all this great nerdy info with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, it's been a great time. Thank you once again to MC Chris. Be sure to head on over to mcchris.com for current tour dates and information on how to listen to all of his great music and comedy. And don't forget the final show of his tour in Los Angeles will be the highlight of the tour. That's right. Our pal Jonah Ray and his You Can't Call Me Al band will be opening the show with their incredible Weird Al covers on August 13th at the Lodge Room in L.A. For tickets, go to tinyurl.com slash mcchrisla. Well, we know what that means. Sounds like we've got a message on the 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Okay, intern Frank, let's hear that message. Hey, Dave and Ethan, it's Jason Alchel, your guest from episode 47. Uh, I just wanted to say it was awesome to meet Ethan at the Chicago shows this past weekend. Uh, Dave, we missed you, but hopefully we'll see you one of these days. Hey, also, though, I wanted to just let your listeners know that I don't think you guys do enough justice uh, about these stickers. People, if if you're at a show, a Weird Al show, and David and Ethan are going to be there, you got to find them. They're going to give you free stickers. Don't you want free stickers? Don't you want to leave with a souvenir? It, it's great to, you know, you're buying your ticket to the Weird Al show. You might as well make the most of it and get these awesome free stickers. Anyway... Good seeing you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you guys again soon. Bye. Well, spoiler alert, Jason. Yes, we did meet in Chicago, but our listeners will hear all about that when they listen to those bonus episodes. Oh, Jason, I'm so bummed that I did not get to meet you. Oh, I'm sure we'll meet in the future at some point. And thank you so much for saying those nice things about our stickers. Yes, absolutely. If you are coming to a show that either Ethan or myself or the both of us will be at, please, please come by and stop us. We've got tons and tons of stickers and fun little giveaways for you. And we absolutely love to meet each and every one of our listeners. Yes, and we print out fun stickers that, you know, they have our logo, but then we have ones with cool drawings from our awesome listeners and um, and other folks that we've met online who love Weird Al. So we love handing those out, and uh, we hope to see more people at future shows. 
This is a special hamster alert to the Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast broadcast alert system sponsored by Jack Bateman. We want to take a moment to share an important tip when it comes to keeping hamsters. Last episode, our tip was to avoid feeding hamsters chocolate or alcohol or caffeine. Correct! The chocolate contains a chemical that may be toxic to hamsters. Yeah, but what happens if they have caffeine or alcohol? Oh, uh, what was that? You really don't want to know the answer to this. No, I think I do want to know. We all do. What are you and the government keeping from us? Well, okay, fine, but don't tell anyone. Not even our intern, Frank? Especially not Frank! Okay, okay, well, what is it? Well, if a hamster is exposed to caffeine or alcohol, they may grow 40,000 times their original size! Hey, Jack, you better watch your back. Well, even though he's our sponsor, don't bring Jack Bateman into this. That is all for this week's special hamster alert via the Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast broadcast alert system. Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast is brought to you absolutely free thanks to our incredible sponsors Burrito Burrito, Discover Darwin, Jackson Scoggins, and Jack Bateman. Our podcast is also supported by everyone in our Patreon family with special thanks to our amazing close personal friend level Patreon supporters, Zeb, Adriana, Allison, Blair, Frank from the Bank, Matthew, Mike, Rim Jams, Jared and Rocky, Javier, Nancy, NES Josh 64, Gus and Alicia, Jake, UH Jeff, Kenneth, Scott, and also thanks to Spunky and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our freaking fantastic, family-friendly, wonderful, wild and wacky Weird Al podcast, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash 2000inch. There are awesome benefits like getting your name on the podcast, your own private RSS feed, and access to secret episodes. Now would be a great time to join if you haven't already, because you'll be the first to hear our Special bonus episodes from the unfortunate return of the ridiculously self-indulgent, ill-advised vanity tour. And do not forget to check out our official merchandise over at shop.2000inch.com. The unfortunate return of ridiculously self-indulgent, ill-advised vanity tour is underway. So make sure you get your orders in today for your Discover Darwin merchandise so you can join us at the Twine Ball this weekend and show the world exactly how you feel about our podcast and about the great folks in Darwin, Minnesota. We love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans. Join our Facebook community and post about Weird Al by visiting group.2000inch.com as well as our Discord server for even more riveting Weird Al-related conversations. You can find both of them linked on our website. And don't forget, we love it when we receive voicemail via our official patent-pending 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline 347 Spatula. You might even hear your message in a future episode. And for everything about our incredible podcast, including incredible past episodes and incredible past guests, be sure to visit the incredible weirdalpodcast.com or the even more incredible 2000inch.com. And while you're there, click on the incredible, ridiculously self-indulgent, ill-advised bonus episodes to follow along with our incredible adventures on tour, or click on the incredible black and white and weird all over bonus episodes for our incredible special bonus episode book series, where the incredible Incredible author John Bermuda Schwartz walks us through his incredible book, 
page by page and incredible picture by incredible picture. Keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events by following at 2000inch on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thank you for subscribing and leaving reviews on your favorite podcast app. Make sure you're subscribed because it not only helps the podcast, but maybe if you're good, we'll tie it to the back of your car and you can take it home. I'm only teasing. Thank you once again to our incredible guest, MC Chris, as well as the incredible Aaron Henry, the incredible Jason Alchill, and the incredible Jeremy Ween. Thank you to the incredible Grammy Award winning Jim Kimo West for our incredible podcast theme song. And thank you to Weird Al Yankovic, as this podcast probably would not exist without him. And a big thank you to all of you, our incredible loyal listeners, incredible subscribers, incredible Patreon supporters and sponsors, and every Everyone else who makes our incredible podcast incredibly possible. Even the Red Sox fans. While I'll stay agnostic on the baseball team front, I do want to thank you for choosing Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. And until next time, remember to gill and chill. Oh, Ethan, I am so, so much looking forward to this weekend. I bet I know why. You're excited about finally seeing Weird Al for the first time this month. Oh, yeah, absolutely I am. But also, you know why. Yes, yes, you're finally visiting the Twine Ball. Well, me too, Dave. I am psyched. Well, of course, of course, I'm psyched for that too. But, you know, something special is happening on Sunday. Oh, yeah, your birthday, Dave. You thought I forgot, didn't you? Well, I cannot wait to celebrate it with you. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun, but, you know, well... Oh, don't tell me, Dave. I know that you're excited to see all of our friends and listeners who are coming out to the Twine Ball to celebrate with us. That's going to be great. Oh, yeah, that is going to be great. But, you know, there's one And I almost forgot, of course, some of our former guests will be there as well. Yeah, like episode 69-inch guest Jackson Scoggins, who already confirmed that they would be there. And episode 119-inch guest Josh Johnson, the mayor of Darwin, Minnesota. And don't forget our episode 48-inch guest will be there, too. Uh, Episode 40? Who's that? Jackie Rossi? You know, your wife? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Well, so that's what you're looking forward to, right? Well, not quite. Dave, what is it? What are you looking forward to? I am just really, really excited to finally try me a pickled wiener. That was David Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 165-inch. And I'll finally find out who this Spider-Man guy is. I do get these little notes from him from time to time that make me feel like I have been accepted by the nerd council.